Hello, guys. Welcome to the Perfected Health Podcast number three, where we strive to optimize all aspects of our lifestyle in every physical way possible. I'm here with Dr. Darren Schmidt, a chiropractor that focuses on nutrition. He has his own YouTube channel, Dr. Darren Schmidt. Uh, today, we're going to talk about things ranging from uh, clinical experience in chronic diseases as well as glandular supplements. Dr. Schmidt, how are you today? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing well, doing well. I'm, I'm super excited because we don't have a lot of people that actually have clinical experience. It's people talking from anecdotes, people talking from even someone like me with you know six, seven years of personal experimenting. It, it fails in comparison to someone who's literally had, I'm assuming, thousands and thousands and thousands of people come through their doors with various health issues. Right. Tens of thousands. I uh, started... <laughs> My practice as a chiropractor in 97, and I went into hardcore, I call it hardcore holistic nutrition in 98. I was studying nutrition in the first time in the fall and early winter of 2003. So um, when I started in 98, um, the big focus was on uh, low carb and supplements, and supplements have always been part of my practice. And uh, they're super important, you know, like a supplement is supplemental to a good diet so you got to do both and i tell patients all the time we have two tools supplements and diet so, and that's it we don't do life coaching we don't do counseling we don't talk about religion or crystals or anything like that so um in 98 and 99 that's when i got into the weston a price foundation i went low carb myself in 2000 and um i've been below 75 grams of carbs a day since 2000 and if I cheated, it would be 100 or 125 grams. And then I, I d the difference between now versus like the year 2000 with my patients is actually teaching how to do it and the, the parameters. Like some people now, and I used to do this, I would tell people eat these foods and avoid these other foods. And that's very difficult to uh, work with because patients will say, well, I don't like avocados or I can't eat red meat or, you know, I don't like chicken. Um, so I got away from telling people what to eat and what to avoid. So now I'm telling them to, you know, to make sure their macros are being met. I'll give them numbers. And they say, what about bananas? And what about this? And what about that? And I say, what's your macros? Like put it into Chronometer, which is the app to track your food. And then I have them test their blood and make sure they're in ketosis. Not everybody. I don't get everybody in ketosis. Um, so that's the, that's kind of the evolution. It's been that many years. And, um, it's been great. So basically, yeah. what determines, and for most people, you're able to fix their issues with this very almost, this is what you have to do, but it's almost a little bit lackadaisical in a sense that there's you know margin of error, room for the person cheating on the diet. But are there people who are in such a state that stricter guidelines have to be set? Yeah, stricter guidelines for people who are sicker. So definitely cancer, I mean, they got to change their diet right now and do it exactly the way I tell them to do it. Uh, people with type two diabetes, that's been uncontrolled for a decade. Same thing with that. Um, and then people who are very sensitive, uh, hypersensitive to foods and they have bad food allergies and I help them discover what foods are causing their problems. So it comes down to, you got the quantities of like grams of macronutrients and calories and then the quality of the food. So. Yeah. And then there's other people, they, you know, they're 
20 years old and they're really healthy and their mom is dragging them in and I tell them to quit eating sugar and that's it. And they do really well with that. And I put them on a few supplements. So it's a wide range of people Mm -hmm. regarding uh, how disciplined they have to be. Mm -hmm. And I mean, of course you work in conjunction with the doctors in some cases, but uh, I know a lot of people are worried about, you know, their diabetes medication, their heart medication, when coming onto a ketogenic diet. And I'm assuming you have plenty of clinical experience with those specific issues. Yeah, so I tell people to check their own blood pressure, check their own glucose. And uh, I use uh, Keto Mojo, which is the device, the glucometer and uh, ketone meter. And they have to change their insulin as they need to. But I always defer back to the MD when it comes to medications. As a matter of fact, even yesterday, I had a new patient from uh, Perth, Australia, and she's wanting to do a fast and she's asking me, she, she's got like four medications and she says, what do I do about these meds while I'm fasting? And I said, I have no answer for you. I intentionally do not study medications. You got to go back to your medical doctor who probably doesn't study fasting. And, uh, and I said, if you keep asking me these questions, you know, I, I feel like you're trying to put me in jail, get my license stripped away. Like it, I made a professional decision in the 1990s. I'm not going to be a drug dispenser. There are a million, literally a million medical doctors in the U.S. who'd be happy to talk to you about drugs and dispense drugs to you. I've chosen to go with the supplements and, and with the diet. So everybody that sees me has a medical doctor. It's really rare that somebody doesn't have a medical doctor. So it's easy for me to just say, yep, go back to him or her and talk about drugs with them. Yeah, I think what a lot of people have to understand is you're on a medication yourself. Uh, as a holistic practitioner, or in my case, just you know, a carnivore dieter, if I'm advising someone, of course, everyone has their own opinion on what medication they should be taking and what amounts. But we are in no position to be giving you know advisory on that. That is the doctor's job specifically. So if you're trying right. to figure out, you know, how does my medication tie into my new lifestyle? That's what I like to call a little bit of grunt work you have to do on your own in a way. Uh, look at yes. other people's experiences online. Uh, maybe you know I can point people in the right direction. I can say, okay, there's this group of people on Facebook or whatever that uh, has all stopped their medication. But it's not. It's unfortunate that you know. I mean, there are some medical doctors that are able to advise on that, but those guys are you know few and far between, and no no one can really afford to see those type of guys. And the medical doctors have no idea about keto, about fasting, about all of the modern things that we can be doing to optimize our diet. You know, these doctors are afraid to prescribe more than 400 IU of vitamin D3. They say, oh, you know, even things as crazy as uh, you shouldn't be eating liver, you shouldn't be taking iodine, you shouldn't be doing even taking certain supplements, yet they'll happily give you some, you know, crazy drug that destroys your whole gut microbiome. Uh, It's really ridiculous. Yeah, I have a patient now, she's pregnant. And she's really concerned about the supplements that she's that I have her on. And um, one of them actually got rid of these red patches that were appearing all over her body. They got so bad, she goes to the emergency room and they give her steroids and uh, antihistamines and all this. Now, during her pregnancy, I don't find any research or anything that says, you know, don't take this with while pregnant, but she's really afraid of it. And I said, well, if you don't take it, your skin problems might come back. And she goes, well, yeah, if they come back, I'm in the ER again on a steroid. And I'm like, yeah, you're pregnant though. Like, are you going to take a supplement or are you going to like 
take a steroid while pregnant, like it's easy, you know, it's easy enough to decide to take the supplement. So there's this fear and the medical profession puts that fear on people. One time I had a woman, this is like 1999. And um, there's a supplement that I have that slows down racing thoughts. So when people try to go to bed and their, their race, their thoughts are speeding by and they can't stop it, they can't fall asleep. I put her on the supplement and that night she fell asleep immediately. She was so happy about it. And she told her medical doctor and the MD looked at the label and said, you don't know what's in there. That, that might kill you. You need to stop that. And she what, what's actually, back. what's actually in there? <laughs> it's, well, it's, it's got brain around. in it. Oh, it's, really? It's called, oh. Yeah. It's called Minchex from standard process. And it's a collection of minerals. That's the min part. And the checks part is actually a sort of nutrient that allows the minerals to go into the brain. So it's, it's got other glands in there too. It's got liver in there. Yeah, I mean, I have my, I mean, my family has their share of hospital horror stories. Uh, you know, I'm actually a triplet. And when my uh, mother had me, my brother, and my sister, you know, they, long story short, they botched the surgery, ended up having to get a double kidney transplant because of uh, uh, blood disease. And she's been taking, you know, an, an immune suppressant, so she doesn't reject the kidneys called Celsept. But what she was also taking was an antacid. And this, I just found out about this a couple of weeks ago. And I was like, Ma, how long have you been taking this antacid? Uh, oh, for tw you know, 20 years. And I'm like, wait, why? And the doctor said that the medication, the Celsept, was hard on the stomach. And I was like, but if something's hard on the stomach, reducing the acidity makes it worse. And right. But she will absolutely not listen to anyone besides the doctor. Uh, same thing with one time my sister, uh, my parents took her to the ER because she was vomiting. Uh, they start making up all the stuff. Oh, she might have this disease, might have that disease, put a tube down her throat, trying to make some money. And... I hate I hate being that guy that's like, you know, at the end of the day, I end up being right. But the the appeal to authority is it's really questionable. You know, these people are human. They're not all knowing. They make mistakes. Of course, they have a lot of training. But someone that comes out of medical school is not comparable to a doctor that's been doing any sort of clinical practice for even a year or two. It's two completely different people. And then you have different tiers of doctors and it's 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 hard for people to really understand things when you know they see a nail and they have a hammer and they just try to keep hammering it in but they might not have it in the right place on the board right yeah you know even if I'm, i've seen this over and over again in 20 years even if you have an md or do that wants to go holistic by their license they can't you know they can't if somebody has chronic infections and they say, stop the sugar, stop the dairy, and take these supplements. That may not work. And if the patient gets another infection, and now they're in the ER, and they say, well, my doctor said take these supplements. He never gave me an antibiotic. That protocol. doctor is in trouble. Mm -hmm. They can get their license pulled. Mm -hmm. So they have to give out the statins. They have to give out the blood pressure meds. And so when I had I had black mold poisoning three years ago, my, my blood pressure was up. The worst was 195 over... So just um, just to black mold poisoning, it's a result of the environment you're in, and yeah, there was a leaky window, and the water from the rain had contacted the drywall, and mold started growing there, and I was breathing it in. So 195 over or 190 over 95 was my blood pressure, and so anyways, I went to urgent care a couple times without knowing I had black mold, and they recommended um, a blood pressure medication nitroglycerin and acid and it's like that's not it you know i know what it's not it's not i don't have blocked arteries you know 
Mm. But but they had to do it or else it's their license. So for the black mold, the mold issues, is there a way to test that? I mean, if you opened a window and you felt better, would that actually fix the mold to some degree? <laughs> yeah. Well, if you open the window and you feel better, that's a that's a good sign you got to improve your ventilation or look for black mold. I spent last week in Nashville at a hotel for a seminar. And uh, I walk in this huge conference room and it's humid and there's that smell to it. And yeah, that a lot of hotels are moldy, but the way you test for it, first of all, for the building, you do like an air capture test. You can hire somebody to do it for like 500 bucks, or you can buy a kit from Home Depot for a hundred some dollars and you capture the air and you send it to the lab. Um, but you know, you gotta look in a building, look for black or green or gray mold. Any, anytime there's water damage, leaky pipes, leaky faucet. Um, the building I was in, the ex the exterior wall was leaky, so sideways rain would push the rain in. And then inside your body, you can do an IgG, like an autoimmune uh, rea or immune reactivity test by blood. So there's several ways. You can test it in your body. You can test it in the, in the air. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And not only do these, do these doctors have to adhere to protocol, it's almost like an appeal to authority in itself. You know, we appeal to authority when we trust doctors blindly, but these doctors actually have to appeal to their supervisors and kind of the general medical consensus. It's not, you're not actually getting the opinion of a doctor. You're getting the opinion of, okay, what does this doctor have to essentially do to not get his medical license taken away? Uh, in, in, in a way, I mean, that's, that's not really the best way to put it, but there is some degree of following protocol for every single person that comes in right yeah and and there should be that too because nothing beats just hardcore science mm -hmm. so for example I'm, I'm probably seven eight years ago i gave a lecture in seattle and in the nighttime i was walking down the sidewalk and i catch myself stomping my feet because i can't feel my feet and i'm thinking wait a minute i'm gonna be in a wheelchair if i don't fix this so when i got back I ran a blood test and my vitamin D was like nine. That's so crazy. That's crazy. A bunch of vitamin D. Yeah. And within, you know, within four to eight weeks, I was back, totally back to normal. So, so regardless of opinion, uh, you know, like there's opinion and there's fact. So if you're sick and you go to an MD, they need to run the appropriate uh, initial blood tests. And then based on that, there's secondary blood tests. Okay. But even then you could still miss a tremendous amount, such as, how much sugar do you eat? You know, like, are you eating keto? Are you eating red meat? Like, what's your bit like? So, so th there could be a hyper, hyper attention on the blood work and not looking at their lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One thing you mentioned earlier was the, the histamines. And, uh, this is probably a huge topic in and itself that I have to do a separate video on, but you, you have the different histamine receptors, the T1, the T2, the T3, the T4 receptors, and these issues that you're having with mold, uh, and that other, girl that you said went to the hospital, antihistamines are like this kind of throw it at any issue the person's having. And, uh, you know, right. especially Same thing with steroids. Yeah. Yeah. This, the steroid thing too, it's unfortunate, but, uh, when you actually look into antihistamines, you're like, Oh my God, these aren't actually that effective because there are, you know, T1 and T2 histamine blockers that can reduce histamine reactions in certain parts of the body. But the severe, severe histamine reactions, the T3 and the T4 receptors, there actually haven't been any drugs that have been made legal. And I'm assuming, you know, and, and there's, um, if, if you take Benadryl for, or dip and hydramine, any antihistamine for 
large doses over a long period of time, it causes permanent memory damage. So, you know, it, it's questionable that these treatments and these medications that people are using, uh, you know, is it a one-off thing? Is it something they're doing long-term? Is it causing permanent long-term health damage? Uh, I, I had to take some, I had some candida issues uh, six, seven months back following some very bad dietary advice. And I had to take a lot of Benadryl over, over the period of about a month. And my memory really hasn't been the same since then. So it's unfortunate that people get sucked into these things when no one really understands the long-term implications. Right. Yeah. So when it comes to medicine, the uh, inexpensive conservative sort of, I don't want to use the term common sense, but the basic stuff needs to be addressed first unless it's an emergency. So people have back pain, they go to their MD. That's not the first place to go. You know, try something conservative first, but at the same time, that sort of holistic or alternative or not primary care practitioner, they still need to be able to, to know whether or not that's cancer if you got back pain. So I remember my first year out of school, the first few months out of school, I'm working in my office in Toledo and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm in the office with another chiropractor. He's gone for a long weekend. I'm seeing his patients. So this woman comes in, her and her friend, and she has she's out of breath and she's got neck pain. And I'm looking at her. She's sitting on the chair and she's going like this. And, she, and her, neck, her neck hurts. So I take her blood pressure. It's too high. Her pulse is too high. I'm like, it's not your neck. Go to the hospital right now. I said, maybe it's your gallbladder, maybe it's your heart. It's not something for me to look at. She goes, I'll go on Monday. This is on the Friday. She goes, I'll go on Monday. So as they're walking out, I told her friend, I said, take her now. <laughs> so of every holistic or alternative therapy practitioner or whatever, they got to know the very basics on how to diagnose mm -hmm. an emergency. Then you can default to the ER. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's definitely worth mentioning. So, uh, you know, with this incredible amount of clinical experience i'd like to jump into you know what are some of the most common issues people come to you with you know what are some common solutions do you have any really interesting stories uh, really just overall learning experiences for people and and things here and there that uh you know we might not have thought of or might not know yeah that's a okay so there's a lot there but yeah so oftentimes the answer is what you know what symptoms do people have when they come to see me so I see a wide variety of symptoms. I mean, most of the time people are overweight, they're tired, they're depressed, they're exhausted, they can't sleep. Um, and there's just a wide variety of symptoms. But when I talk on my YouTube channel, I talk about symptoms, but I also put symptoms into categories. And I try to make people think bigger and bigger. And I put this up on the wall right here. So I got three circles. The first, that blue one is causes. So causes would be toxins, pathogens, and then excess sugar metabolism, meaning they're eating too much, too many carbohydrates. So now I get people coming to me because they're toxic and they know they're toxic. And I talk about that there. Other people come to me because they have a yeast infection or chronic yeast or they got parasites. And now, you know, whereas 20 years ago, people would say, well, my abdomen hurts. You know, they're talking about their body. All right. And then, of course, I can get people, they come to me because they're type two diabetic or even type one. And we get get them into ketosis to control that. So I'm kind of repositioning how people look at the body. Now in the red one, this third one right there, that's where the symptoms are. So symptoms come from organ dysfunction. So you got to feed the organs to get rid of the symptoms. So just yesterday I had a conversation with somebody and she kept telling me, well, what about my foot pain? What about my 
tongue hurts? What about my vision? What about my hair? And I, and I was like, you have toxicity and you have yeast. And she's like, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? And I'm like, this, this, this. So I told her, this is our relationship. You tell me about the red. I tell you about blue. You bring me back to red. I bring you back to blue. And then the middle is the mechanism of chronic disease. So, and that's what we do. So as I'm detoxing her and cleaning up her diet, the symptoms start to go away. But if something doesn't go away, let's say she's got like gallbladder pain, then I can specifically help her gallbladder with, with uh, individual supplements. So mm -hmm. that's kind of like the bigger picture. That's why people come to me. Now mm -hmm. I figured this out because I had that black mold issue three years ago and I started taking, I tried for about four months to find a supplement that would help my chest pain that was going down the arm and up the jaw and it was, it was horrible. And so I found some supplements they were actually designed in 19, the 1930s. And I'm like, okay, what did they know? Because I know a lot. I know what people know. I know what people don't know in healthcare. And I didn't know about what would help the symptoms I had from the 1930s. What did they know back then? And so then I'm looking at the uh, fathers of, of medicine. So Henry Harrow, the father of endocrinology, Royal Lee, the father of holistic nutrition, Abram Hoff, uh, Hoffer, the father of holistic psychiatry, Otto Warburg, father of physiology, they all said the same thing. They said, you got to treat the cause and the mechanism, and then you feed the organs to treat the symptoms. And so the mechanism is what was missing in all of modern day healthcare knowledge. Now the holistic people, they go for the causes quite often. And, uh, but a lot of times doctors just go for symptoms talking about medical doctors, unless they happen to hit upon a bacterial infection and they give an antibiotic or maybe they'll find lead if somebody was acutely poisoned by lead from lead paint or mercury toxicity they'll find that there but that's rare and that's in the er usually so you know got a million medical doctors treating symptoms 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 right here in the red so anyways i'm putting them i just put them all together now these causes like um excess sugar metabolism mercury and that kind of stuff that was passed that was beyond uh, World War II um, and mostly like in the 80s and 90s and now. So the very modern information is here. The very old information is here. And then we've always been trying to fix symptoms here since the, since the dawn of time. So that's that's kind of like my philosophy and I'm trying to teach that. So what else do you want to know? <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. We're not even like 100 years into you know, the, you were saying the father of endocrinology in the 1930s. If you look at history, you know, how long humans have been around, I'm sure like 10, 20, 30, even like 100 years from now, we're going to be like, oh my God, we were, we were complete idiots. Oh, yeah. And well, this, this mechanism, it's lactic acidosis. I found a book <clears throat> written, um, got a, I think it was 1300 years ago. And the book that I purchased so it was obviously a, a copy of it, but translated to English. But back then, 1,300 years ago, they knew about the mechanism. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. So I, I definitely wanted to touch on a couple common issues that people really want to know about. But just to summarize, you're basically saying, okay, this person has these symptoms. Uh, maybe we look at blood markers. We look at what they're doing in their diet. We try to improve things. And then whatever doesn't really improve, that kind of isolates things and really uh, takes care of the issue. Uh, the one question I had was when people are very diabetic and they get into ketosis, that that's 
basically just a reduction in insulin usage over a period of time. Right. Okay. So yeah, that's, that's the solution for diabetes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, mercury fillings and amalgams and, and that type of stuff. Is that something that you've seen a lot in your practice? Oh yeah. Yeah. So the story I often hear is somebody will get their mercury fillings replaced and the dentist does it incorrectly. They don't do a good job with ventilation. They don't do a dental dam around the tooth. And the dentist needs to be wearing a respirator. So that's this plus this, you know, not just a dust mask. So if the dentist is just wearing a dust mask and a shield, the dentist doesn't know what they're doing. So I've had people poisoned, acute mercury poisoning from the dental work. And then you, you can see people with uh, tattooing in their cheeks. So they'll pull their cheek open, they'll look in the, you can look in their mouth and from the filling up and down their throat, there's a, you, you can only see this much of the tattoo, but the mercury embeds inside the tissue. That's crazy. I've actually heard of doctors surgically cutting that out, but that's, you know, that's poisoning. Every breath you take, you're getting poisoned by mercury. And, and that, that most fillings do that. That amount of mercury that they're putting in that filling is, is far, is way more than enough to kill you essentially. Right. If you ingested that. Yeah, if, if you ingest it and it goes, yeah, exactly, mm -hmm. and cause severe neurological problems, mm -hmm. right? And there's there's um, uh, the website to check that more information is called iaomt.org, and on that website they have a video of an extracted tooth that has mercury um, inside, like a, a filling, and they have a green screen behind it, and you can see the vapor is coming off the tooth. And they take a toothbrush and they go like this and it's just pouring off the tooth. So yeah, people are crying. The dental industry has, I mean, they're just as bad. It's horrible. It's horrible, right? The original use of the term quack was the dentist that were using quicksilver in people's mouths. That's another term for mercury is quicksilver. So the dentists that were using quicksilver, those are the original quacks. Mm -hmm. And they're right still, now, I think they're still using this. Yeah, I think that the numbers keeps changing, um, but over the years, I kind of keep track, like what percentage of dentists are uh, getting away from uh, silver? And at one point it was 30% are not using silver or, you know, mercury. And that was like more than 10 years ago. And now I've heard like, you know, approaching 50%, but whatever. I mean, there's a double digit percentage of dentists still using mercury. And, there, and now we have greater technology. we got better material. So there's no excuse to use mercury at all. All dentists should get away from that. Yeah, we have plenty of alternatives. Uh, I think they even use gold sometimes. And the, I mean, the solution here really is you have to get them taken out and replaced. Right. There's ceramics and there's porcelains. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Root canals can be a big issue too, right? Uh, root canals are a big issue. Yeah. So even so Weston Price, you and I are big fans of Weston Price. Mm -hmm. Um, he was a dentist. He was the president of the American Dental Association before he traveled the world. And he wrote these books that were like super thick saying that root canals are bad. And he showed that in experiments. So what happens is the infection goes down into the jaw and it forms a hole in the jaw. It's called a cavitation, just like a cavity in the tooth. You get a cavitation in the jaw and bacteria sit in there and they go right into the bloodstream and they're constantly reinfecting the body all the time, causing autoimmune problems. So yeah, I'll see patients that have fatigue and autoimmune issues. And I can tell like in three months, if they're not getting any better, their diet's good. I have them on the right supplements. 
and they're not any better, you got to look at the teeth. That's the, that's the issue right there. Mm -hmm. And you got to get a 3d x-ray. It's called a, a cone beam or a cavitat. Yeah. For those of you guys who are unfamiliar with Weston price, uh, as you said, he was a dentist in the early 1900s, and the book that I'm familiar with for Weston Price was Nutrition and Physical Degeneration, where he went around and examined indigenous tribes, groups of native people. This could have been, oh yeah, there you go. This could have been Swiss in the Lochental Valley that were eating just rye bread and cheese, and they were in perfect health only eating rye bread and cheese. And then you had the indigenous aborigines to Australia and some South Sea Islanders that literally ate hundreds to thousands of different types of food. But what he noticed as a dentist was, you know, he was examining their teeth for caries, aka cavities, and observed that in groups of people on their wild primitive diets, they were not only absent of cavities, they were absent of degenerative disease. So his background right, right, of... So mm -hmm. Right, so we just want to recreate that diet. Es essentially, right? and yeah, that one common, the one common factor in these diets, you know, regardless of what plant foods they were consuming, was animal foods, the presence of quality animal <laughs> foods. Right. Yeah, so um, that's a super interesting subject. I've always been a fan of uh, low-carb but I was under that spell of like protein is bad and, you know, red meat is bad. Even though I ate it on a daily basis, I would have a minimal amount. I only had red meat for like twice a week up until about five months ago. Now I'm eating it once a day, twice a day in large quantities. Like yesterday's lunch was a pound and a half. I'll have a pound and a half or two pounds for lunch. This morning I had a pound of bison for breakfast. So, um, and I'm good, you know, like it's, you know, more than six hours later, I'm going to be, I'm good. I may, I may skip dinner tonight, mm -hmm. but this, this constant barrage of bad research and bad advice from the powers that be in the government and schools and, um, the epidemiological, uh, schools and all that bad research, it's really detrimental to Americans health. I think way there's too many people that are deficient in protein and it's amazing. Like, I had a woman, this is really cool. She lives in Pennsylvania and we do, we are doing phone calls. And back in December, I said she was eating 35 grams of protein a day. She was measuring it on the app called chronometer. And I said to her, eat 130 grams a day. Cause that's her weight. I said, eat the grams of protein according to your weight. So 135 or 130 grams of pr protein per day. So then she came to my office. Her and her husband drove out here about three weeks ago and I walk in the room and she goes, that advice was the best health advice I've ever had in my whole life. So people need to think about quadrupling their meat intake. And like, you know, in Hong Kong, they eat a pound and a half of meat every day and they live longer than anybody else. And they're super smart. So like, it's too bad that meat has been um, sort of downplayed for so long. Yeah. It's absolutely and, and crazy. The other thing, the other thing is, um, I know you and I talk about vegans a lot, but you know, we got these YouTubers that are quitting veganism and what they say is I had fish and I felt better. They had one serving, mm -hmm. you know, this much, you know, like four ounces and they felt better. They hadn't felt this good, you know, in four years, my girlfriend's best friend was a vegan for 20 years and couldn't get pregnant. And she had, um, her second serving of meat was pork. 
and she called up my girlfriend, this is a number of years ago, and said, I feel better now than I have in 20 years. That was the best meal I've had. So yeah, you can you can go um, start eating meat and within three days, seven days, you're a completely different person because your body's been craving those uh, those nutrients only found in meat for all those years. Yeah, it's really unfortunate how, how demonized meat is. And even people in these first world countries that have plenty of food to eat, if you're not consuming a minimum of 30% of your calories from the highest quality animal foods, you're going to be deficient in some vitamin. And seeing as the quality of animal foods is so low now, you know, the percentage has to be even higher. And Americans consume the same ratios of animal foods to plant foods that blue zones do. It's just the food quality isn't there and the nutrient content isn't there. Yeah. So I get patients, they go uh, to vacation in Europe and in Europe for a month or two weeks or whatever, they come back and they're down eight pounds or their allergies are, are good. I had a woman with ankylosing spinalitis, which is like the worst arthritis you can imagine. She was in France for a month and she came back. Her her joint pain was completely gone. And this was like probably 2002. And I said to her, what did you do in France that's different here? She goes, well, I swam every day and I walked. And I said, okay, so keep swimming and keep walking like that. But within a few weeks, her ankylosing spondylitis came back. What I was missing back then was the quality of the food. So in France, she wasn't like, her diet didn't change that much, right? It wasn't like a bad diet to begin with. But it was like the chemicals that are put into the, the American food. I, and I had a woman once, she lost eight pounds. And some of the MDs will say, well, you know, in Europe, they just walk more. But this woman, she said, and she was only gone for like seven days. She <laughs> goes, no, I got 10,000 steps in every day. Every day, whether no matter where she's at, she always walks 10,000 steps mm -hmm. and she measures it. And I said, well, what did you eat? She goes, I had you know, I had wine and chocolate and pasta. And so her diet got worse <laughs> and her exercise stayed the same. And yet she lost eight pounds and felt so much better. It's food, you know, food, babe. I forgot her name, Vanessa or Valerie or something. You know, do you know, food uh, babe? I have, no I, I have no idea. I'm sorry. Yeah. So food, babe, she's been uh, a soldier, if you will, attacking the uh, food manufacturers about the quality, you know, the dyes and the preservatives. And she's doing a really good job on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, possibly, you know, sourcing more food and trying to help other people source food. I and mean, we, we've been doing that through Eat Wild and stuff like that. Uh, but uh, I definitely uh, want to do it on a larger scale and just get people to understand because when people go to France and, and get better, they don't realize that the higher vitamin content of the food, all of these vitamins have different properties in the body whether it's stimulating cell growth or antioxidant properties, uh, lowering inflammation. Not only do these foods have higher amounts of these beneficial vitamins, the negative components that we have in our foods over here, the high omega-6 fats, the refined sugars, all the crap we're eating, it's like a double dose effect, right. and that, not, not yeah. to mention all the chemicals. You know, so I have one of my other companies is uh, the Good Fat Bar. And um, in development, I had this recipe in mind and we put together, we had some pea protein powder in there, which later we took out uh, of our future, uh, future uh, products. But the original three have pea protein powder. And then instead of any kind of sweetener, what we did is we took organic dates and we just shred them. So it's a, like a date powder. That's the sweetener. 
So anyway, we're at Michigan State University and they have a food packaging degree and they have food consultants. And so we had this meeting and um, one of the food professors was retiring within a few months. So we're talking a 30 year career of her advising people on how to make food bars and processed food, convenience food, all that stuff. So in, during this meeting, she said to me, why, did, why don't you use whey protein powder instead of pea protein powder? And I said, well, a lot of people can become allergic to whey. And I find that pea protein is you know, not as allergenic. So that was new to her. Then later she said to me, why are you using dates? Why don't you use brown rice syrup? And by this time, I'm like exasperated by her <laughs> because of all the other things that she was saying. And I just said to her, because it's brown rice syrup. You know, like you don't know this stuff. You're in this industry for 30 years. That's why all this food is junk because of your bad advice. So I'm teaching her, you know, but unfortunately she's retiring, you know, so that career is over. It's it's difficult because, uh, you know, I worked in New York City restaurants as a waiter and a bartender for a while. I worked as a personal trainer. I did a lot of this researching on my own. I understand I understand food from an ingredient perspective and a culinary perspective and from this kind of Weston Price nutrition perspective. People just aren't exposed to this information. It's so difficult for someone to understand all of these concepts and apply it. That's why, I mean, that's a, a big reason why all this food is crap now might it isn't really even in that they know that it's bad for you. I mean, they might know that to some degree, but these people making this food they likely don't realize how bad it is for you. All they're seeing is dollar signs. Right. And, you know, if, you, if I were to go to her recipe for the good fat bar and have whey protein powder and brown rice syrup, like the combination of that is just so much worse quality wise and how your body feels compared to doing organic date powder and uh, pea protein. So it's a combination of two. You can do, you know, studies on one ingredient and say, oh, look, it's fine generally regarded as safe you know make that designation and all that but put 30 of them together yeah, in a, in a package issue. in a box and set that in the in the grocery store that's a disaster mm -hmm. yeah so it's easier it's easier to shop for food when you're heading into ketosis and heading into carnivore there's the produce section and some people just bypass that and you go straight to the meat counter and you walk out you know and the packaging is simple you know you're you're not compiling boxes and bags and stuff it's just yeah, it's good for the environment that way. <laughs> yeah, it's clear that you know a lot of that research that has been done on these foods saying it's okay, uh, it's it's foggy at best. And you were actually the first person that turned me on to. Uh, you had a video like how to look at how to know so some science is junk science, and you went right. over like a couple different points where it was like okay, you can look at the relative risk of the study, you can look at how they perform the study, you can look at the method of the study, the dosage, is, are they injecting thousands of times an unrealistic dose? Did they apply models to the study? And you can really formulate data in any which way you want and make something look like it's okay for human consumption. But if a food hasn't existed for more than like 20, 30 years, how do we know it's even good for us long term? I know. I mean, looking at canola oil and soybean, oh. soybean oil came on the market in the 1980s. Like that's not a food. Did yeah. you see the podcast with Tucker Goodrich and e Ivor Cummins recently on the vegetable oil? Basically, uh, what happens is the lipids in your body turn into plant lipids if you consume a high percentage of them over a period of years. And uh, there's a mechanism. I did a whole video on this. Uh, my video this week, Vegan Diet Causes Stroke. And when this 
LDL cholesterol particle is composed of linoleic acid, and this takes years, the body actually attacks it. It doesn't recognize it, and that's what actually can cause, it actually builds up plaque, foam cells, heart disease. Uh, these seed, seed oils, I hate that they're even called vegetable oils. You know, my mother and grandmother frying chicken cutlets in them for years. I probably have some of that deposited in my artery at this point. Uh, but, you know, these seed oils literally have a mechanism in the body that causes heart disease. And uh, Chris Kresser just tweeted uh, about how bad they are for us. And I think seed oils are going to be one of the first things to go down because there's it, it's going to be so hard for them to deny how bad they are. But who knows? Who knows? They just try to repackage it into plant-based BS. Right. You know, I was at Low Carb Denver a few weeks ago, and there's like 850 people in the audience. It was fantastic. But they brought on somebody, and I forgot his name. He uh, was pro um, high carb and pro seed oils. And he was debating with uh, Gary Tobbs, and the moderator was Ivor Cummins. And um, yeah, I forgot his name. It's not worth mentioning, to be honest. But the audience was booing. Like, how stupid can you be, right? <laughs> But there's a study that shows that you take in seed oils and it lowers your LDL, therefore it's good for you. Like, no, mm -hmm. no, no, there's more to it than that. And just because your LDL is low, it doesn't mean you're healthy. And just because your LDL is high, that's not a cause of heart disease. Yeah. And so it's, it's, just, it's just cognitive dissonance. You know, you got to, yeah. I study every night. You know, I, I'm learning something every night, every day. And it takes a lot in nutrition. You know, it takes a lot of studying to keep up with the research and to figure out like why there's so much misinformation. Yeah, I study every night too, but then I forget it. That's why I make videos every day, just so I can look back and, and remember what I studied. Uh, yeah, in that, well, that's, that's, that's my original purpose of making videos was just to document what I discovered. It's Not funny. that I, I don't forget it, but I just wanted to make sure that it was documented somewhere. It's funny because I'll go back and watch my video and I'm like, damn, that guy's smart. And I don't remember half the words I said. Uh, but in, in that video on seed oils, the, the mechanism is really scary. Uh, you know, not only did I show the mechanism, I showed the outcome data. People with heart disease had, you know, 50 to 100 times the level of plant sterols in their arteries than healthy people. Uh, omega-6, yeah. high omega-6, I think is the scariest thing right now in, in, in the modern diet. Uh, sugar, yeah, yeah, sugar too. It's hard to say. Yeah, uh, so let me, let me jump in. So I heard Tucker Goodrich on a podcast oh, six months ago, and the story is fast, fascinating. So... Mm -hmm. He's like an IT professional on Wall Street, and he was overweight, but he wasn't eating sugar, so he decided to improve his diet. And what he did was, he's at the salad bar, he's looking at the salad bar like, okay, all this produce looks okay, there's gotta be something here that's bad. Then he picked up the salad dressing and he read it, he's like, okay, maybe it's the canola oil here. So he cut out all the seed oils, lost a bunch of weight, reversed his type two diabetes. So that's fascinating right there. And uh, he, um, He's, he was talking about in China and in India, they've been eating 70% of the calories from carbohydrates like rice for decades and decades and decades. But now their diabetes is going way up. So what are they doing? They're getting rid of their lard and their ghee and their pig fat, and they're substituting in canola oil and uh, corn oil. That's the problem. Yeah, he also spoke about, I believe, that it was called the India Railway Study, where the the northern Indians were consuming, you know, as you mentioned, the butter, the ghee, the lard, the animal fat diet, and the southern Indians were consuming, as you said, the grains, the vegetable oils, and the southern Indians had seven times the rate of heart disease. Uh, yeah. the, the relative risk of the study was seven. 
Uh, oh my god! Yeah, and then there was uh, Sean Baker just did a video on a study that was published, I believe, in February, even maybe even sooner, where they linked carbohydrates to heart disease with a, a fairly high relative risk. Uh, I think it was like three or four. Uh, and I don't really want to get into relative risk of studies and go into explaining that. Uh, but did, did you want to touch on that real quick for the relative risk of studies? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> this is like the main tool, one of the main tools to look at when you are looking at research. First of all, as a consumer of food and as a patient of the, of the healthcare system, if there's ever an epidemiological study on food, just ignore it. The other thing is you look at the relative risk, another term is odds ratio or HR, uh, hazard ratio, so RROHR. It's got to be above 2.0. And even if it's above 2.0, it doesn't mean that it's legit because you still have to do a trial. So that's, you know, epidemiological research is just out an observation. So, um, but a lot of the vegan um, uh, social media stars pull out these uh, epidemiological studies and the relative risk is, you know, 0.15 or 0.52. Like that's nothing, you know, that's 0.03. <laughs> 0.03. It's like, yeah, bacon causes cancer. It's like, no, no, that study is garbage. 90% of the studies are garbage. Mm -hmm. So I just did a video on that. There's a top 10, actually top nine studies that vegans collaborated on. And they're talking about how ketosis is bad and veganism is good. So I played that video. I released it two days ago. I played the video and I'm giving my comments as to, you know, why. And I debunked every single, every single research article. And it's the best of the best. And just so easy to debunk that. Yeah, if you spend the time, you could literally... It's, it's funny. When I was reading one of the Eat Lancet studies, there was a, a study called like the Finnish Heart Study. And that's how I actually found out that when you consumed high omega-6 oils, your the lipids in your body turn into plant fats because the way they measured the per, the people's adherence to the diet was taking an adipose tissue sample. And the people that were following the high polyunsaturated omega-6 diet had like... 25-30% tissue levels of omega-6 compared to the other people who had like insignificant amounts. Uh, yeah. It's funny how the, the vegan studies can actually backfire on them to some degree. <laughs> right. Now, so let's, let's talk, there is a solution though. Let's talk about this omega-3-6 ratio. Mm -hmm. So what you want is like a one-to-one -one ratio of omega-3s to omega-6 or maybe like one to two or maybe one to four at the most. But right now, across the United States, it's one to forty. Yeah, it's it, because, yeah because of deep fried, you know, French fries. It's deep frying stuff, and then you got all the other seed oils that are in all the all the foods. It's just vegetable oils. So how do you how do you reverse that? Well, for a while, people would just take a bunch of fish oil and try to raise up the omega three. That's not nearly. That's not good enough. So you got to stop all the cons consumption of the seed oils. And you can lower that back down to normal like in six months. And there is a blood test for it. You do like a little uh, spot. It's a blood spot test from Genova, which is a lab. And you put that on paper and you submit it to the lab and you can actually see what your ratio is. But yeah, you can reverse it like in six months, maybe a little bit more. Yeah, I think uh, one of the biggest things to mention is how every restaurant fries all their food and uses soybean oil and canola oil to cook. So uh, I think the restaurant foods and the fast foods are really a big issue here. And I mean, there are plenty of alternatives to seed oils. It's just, they're not accessible. Uh, I mean, ghee and clarified butter and butter might be what most people have access to that doesn't have a crazy omega-3 to omega-6 ratio. 
Uh, but to have fats like grass-fed beef fat, I mean, even pork lard and chicken fat can be very high omega-6. It's, you know, it's, it's a it, it's a combination of so many issues from, okay, we're brainwashed to think that the omega-6 oils are good for us. And wait, hold on. Now they're not good for us. Uh, but wait, I can't get the foods that are good for me. It's just, it's so hard from just the perspective of, you know, is, is, is it ever going to change? Right. So it just comes back down to avoiding the uh, processed foods and just getting the best quality animal products that you, that you can get. Mm-hmm. It always comes, it always comes down to that. Mm-hmm. It's just that simple. And people come to me and they're so confused and they're so overwhelmed because of all the, all the bad advice. I put out a tweet once and they said, nutrition advice that is bunk. And I listed a bunch of things like eat all the colors of the rainbow. You know, I listed like probably eight things and I said, please add. And I had 52 comments where people were saying, so we're talking over 60, you know, bad nutrition advice that's completely not true. So it's really unfortunate. Superfoods. Yeah. And the other thing is like the, you know, the processed food, you know, people, I complain about the pharmaceutical industry being super strong, but let's not forget about the grocers industry, you know, like, in volume, they have it's they're so much stronger that more people, more products, and they're going to control what we eat. They're going to try to. They're going to make more money, more profits on the processed food. So whereas before, you know, you get some brain at the deli, or you get some entrails at the deli, you know that kind of stuff. We need to, we need to get back. Yeah, and it's funny you we can need- actually go into most places and find something good. You just they just don't know it's good. Liverwurst. Uh, herring, cured fish. There's a lot of foods that people do have access to that actually taste really good, but they don't know that they're nutritious. Right. Especially like liver pate, chopped chicken, liver and onion, stuff like that. Uh, I did want to tie things back to uh, some of the the common issues people are running into. uh, And Alzheimer's, has that been something that you've seen in your clinical practice to some degree? Yeah, yeah. there's different causes of that kind of brain fry. Um, I had a guy, he was a marathon runner, low fat diet on statins for 20 years. And at this time he was in his six mid to late sixties. He wasn't even that old. And I put, and I didn't know so much about the diet, like carnivore style. I had him on low fat. I'm sorry. I had him on low carb. I said, eat meat. And I had him taking a lot of fish oil. This is like 10 years ago. And he started getting his brain back. And he was living in an Alzheimer's center. They wouldn't allow him to go get the mail because they would get lost. Well, after about six months of seeing me, he's running a one-mile path all around the, the neighborhood. <laughs> and, I mean, this story goes on, like, whatever. We fixed it. But um, I have a woman now. She's been with me, like, two years, maybe a little bit more. And at first, I put her on some detox products, and I said, go, go a keto, lots of fat. I do. Uh, I did a four to one ratio, like four grams of fat to one gram of protein plus carbs. So tons of fat. She was in ketosis. She's been eating that way now for over two years, and she's basically maintaining. She got thirty percent better within a few months, but then since then she's been maintaining, and I'm like happy with that. Um, there's a guy named Dr. Bredesen. He's got sort of like the key to Alzheimer's, and it's like thirty-two points to follow, and a couple of them are medications, but it's very holistic and he's talking about nutrients and supplements and, you know, things to do to get your health back. Um, and I have a, another story about this, a woman who would uh, lose her mind 
after wine. She's drinking wine every night and she's eating bread too. There's that book called Grain Grain Brain. Mm -hmm. And just based on that book, it's like, stop the grain, stop the wine. Here's a bunch of brain supplements, eat a good diet. And she came around and she, back to normal, uh, back to normal, totally feisty, uh, totally hilarious, totally engaging. But she didn't want to stop the wine. So like after a few months and she's not living with her daughters, like they're taking care of her, but she's going back to eating sandwiches and stuff and her brain's starting to fall apart again. So yeah, I've had like three people now with, um, various forms of Alzheimer's. I don't know if there's such a thing, but with ma maintaining their condition or getting better based on their choices. Mm -hmm. I do have one guy who is losing his short-term memory and I, everything I've done, I haven't been able to do anything to help him out. Although I would say that he drinks uh, a scotch every night and it wasn't until last summer when he was finally able to stop the scotch. But I don't know, there's other things going on there. I don't know what to say about that. Mm -hmm. So, but you know, one thing is like, Parkinson's, I've never been able to help Parkinson's or I had a woman once with Lou Gehrig's disease. I couldn't help that. So those deep neurological problems, I haven't been able to help, but more superficial things um, having to do with the outside the central nervous system, you know, th these organs, I can help a lot of that. Yeah. My grandfather died from uh, Lou Gehrig's disease. Really, really terrible disease. He was paralyzed for, oh man, I don't even remember how many years. Uh, that doctor was Dr. Dale Bredesen, B-R-E-D-E-S-E-N, uh, specializing in Alzheimer's. Is there, there, is there like a point of no return for Alzheimer's? Like once you're past like 75, 80, 85 years of age, is, is it just going to kind of, is, it, it might not reverse the process, but it might slow it down? Well, I would, um, I don't have that much experience with it. I tell you, my sister used to be a, a nurse at an Alzheimer's care center and she was in the wing that was late stage where they're in bed like a baby curled up and they there was no talking to them at all so yeah you could call that to be you know end stage late stage no reversing mm -hmm. it's yeah. uh really unfortunate that uh you know we have we're talking about how bad these industries are how bad seed oils are blah 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 all of this stuff but until people connected to that poor person crawled up in a ball in the hospital bed is, is until that happens, then that that'll be when we, when we see progress. Uh, auto, That's a good point. Yeah, it really is. People don't connect it. It's, it's unfortunate. What they're connecting it is, Oh, can the doctor fix it? Uh, autoimmune diseases in general. Uh, and this is a very broad range of things, but, uh, I mean, my perspective is a lot of things, you know, are dietary hundred percent. Yeah. So autoimmune diseases, uh, there's a lot of dietary um, problems there, but also we can't forget that there's probably a virus or some sort of pathogen, a parasite in the body. So I have a woman, her thyroid peroxidase, which is like a thyroid antibody blood test was over 300. It's supposed to be less than 35. And I do this muscle testing procedure. It's like, it's a biofeedback procedure where I can figure out things going on inside the organs. Anyways, I found a virus in her thyroid. And I put her on supplements and now her TPO is um, like 70 or 75 and it's taking over a year to bring it down. But, you know, we're handling her autoimmune condition. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, people have to avoid the obvious like bad food toxins. You got gluten and there's going to be dairy, the, you know, casein and all that stuff. So clean your diet up, make it vegetables and make it meat and uh, make sure the vegetables your body is OK with. Make sure the you know, your body's got to be OK with the meat, too. And, um, 
and then take supplements for the immune system to kill organisms or other supplements to feed the actual immune system itself to make it smarter. So the immune system can be really dumb and it can be really confused and it can be blind. So it's like echinacea puts on glasses so that the immune system can see better. You know, this is how I think, like, what do these supplements do to the, the various organs? Do they uplift? Do they nourish? Do they boost? Do they uh, detox? Um, do they calm it down? So this is how I'm, I'm thinking. We carry like about over 700 products and I, got, and I know all of them. I know all the characteristics of these products. So I hope I answered your question about autoimmune conditions. Yeah, for sure. And we'll definitely jump into the the glandular stuff after a few more diseases. Uh, you did bring up parasites. And I think this is a really interesting one that people want to hear about. Like, what types of bugs do you see in people? Have you seen worms? Like, what, what's going on? Like, what type of organs get infected? Is that what people are asking on the on the feed right there? No, it's, it's not. Uh, I mean, I'm sure a, a couple people want to know, but I've done videos on you know, tapeworms and salmon in the past. And people are always concerned about getting worms from eating raw meat. Uh, people are worried about liver flukes. Uh, it's mostly yeah. in the context of like raw meat eating in the carnivore diet. Well, here's how you get parasites. Eating food that includes raw meat, drinking water, touching animals, walking barefoot in sand or soil. Mm -hmm. So living on planet Earth is how you get parasites. And so I figured out parasites back in 07 for myself, like how to help patients. And uh, maybe it's 08 or 09, somewhere in there. And at the same time, Dr. Oz was on his TV show and he said that 90% um, of Americans have parasites. And I was like, yeah, that makes sense. I think 80% of Americans have parasites based on what I was seeing in my office. So um, now I know, so a Junus Vander, how do you say his last name, Vanderplanet? A Janus Vanderplanet. Yeah, so he says parasites are good. They help you digest food or they help your immune system or whatever. Sure, I can see that, but mostly I think parasites are bad. And by definition, parasites are parasitic. Um, they're not symbiotic. And I get people pooping out parasites all the time and they feel better. Their intestines work better. Then they start to lose weight. You know, you know, these various conditions go away. Skin rashes go away. So yeah, um, what kind of parasites have I seen come out? I've had people get rid of three foot tapeworms, five of them all together, all like in a, like, uh, like mop tines, you know, like the mop mm -hmm. head. Um, I've had people get rid of, um, things that look like jellyfish and they're swimming in the toilet bowl like this. I've had people eliminate, uh, insects with a hard shell body, you know, that they're sit, it's sitting on top of the poop in the water, in the toilet. And then it's like gross and they flush it as fast as they can. So what, what do you, um, I mean, is this protocol for parasites, uh, I mean, is this like an extreme thing that you, you know, it's a high no. dose and antimicrobial is this, uh, you know, what, what are we actually doing? It's like a certain, certain types of herbs and tinctures. Yeah. It's uh, there's two ways to go about it. And, um, a lot of times I just do both. So the first one is a particular plant that's new on the market. It's fantastic. It's called Mimosa pudica. Am I, M-O-S-A, Mimosa pudica, and it's like a sticky, heavy substance. So if you were to open up a capsule of this powder, you put it on your tongue, it almost becomes like a really soft chewing gum. But imagine that in your intestines, it's heavy and sticky. It grabs onto things and it weighs it down and pulls it out. The other way to go about killing parasites is with the uh, chemical killers like clove, wormwood, thuja, which is like the, you know how evergreen trees have a sticky, 
sap and mm -hmm. it's kind of like yeah uh that's thuja that's a version of thuja so you can combine these together you got black walnut hulls put all that together and take that as a chemical killer then the mimosa pudica is the physical cleaner that's all that's all it is and they can't feed parasites so parasites just like any other organism they love sugar and they love dairy the only exception would be butter Butter's usually okay dairy's got that mucus tea you know context to it and um, parasites love um, that thin mucus they live in it right whereas the mimosa pudica is a thick heavy mucus that just kind of weighs them down mm -hmm. parasites are fun they're super interesting they're gross you talk, talk about parasites of people and they're wondering if they got parasites mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> i had a woman once i, I gotta tell you this mm -hmm. one of the first times i ever found a worm with the muscle testing procedure that i have this woman, would, she took the supplements and she sat on the toilet and it wouldn't come out. It was there. It was like halfway out. So she pulled it out with her fingers and she put it on the bathroom countertop and it started to crawl away. It was about this big. She brought it Ugh. in a baggie. Oh, she brought it in. <laughs> brought oh, it in, in, in a baggie. Oh, God. Like you're going to diagnose it in your laboratory. Uh, this kind of ties into candida. Have you seen a lot of candida issues uh, with your patients? Yeah, I think, yeah, even though like 80 to 90% of Americans have parasites, I don't think they suffer from them as much as they do candida. Mm -hmm. So I think that candida loves heavy metals and parasites love heavy metals too. So heavy metals in the body will tear up your tissues and kill your tissues. And then these organisms love to feed off the dead tissue. So um, for candida, um, we have an antifungal diet I use the terms interchangeably, candida, fungus, yeast, mold. They all grow the same way. They shoot, they have shoots that they put out or spores. Hyphae, right? But, um, huh? I, be, I think that's called the hyphae, something like that. I'm sorry, I'm saying it wrong. Oh, yeah. 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 So we put them on a diet where they're not feeding the fungus. That's the main thing is don't feed it. Then you got to take supplements to kill it. And the question is, um, are the supplements strong enough? Are you on the right dose? Is it working? Is your immune system strong enough? Like... Are you eating enough meat to maintain the strength of your immune system? Like I'm looking at all these factors to try to, and we have really good success with that. I, and candida can be really tough for some people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. My experience with candida, it's, you know, it's one thing to consume a product that can kill a parasite because if you consume something and the parasite eats it, the parasite dies. But candida is not one or two or three parasites. Candida is a, si a system of fungus essentially that just grows and grows and grows and you can kill some of it but it's going to still be there and it will just come back as soon as you do so it's more of like uh as you said the the whole dietary lifestyle change uh the antifungals can kind of keep it at bay but unless you have like unless your gut microbiome becomes strong enough for the good gut bacteria to take over uh candida is definitely uh something so many people suffer from like and SIBO as well uh it's it's um you know, and there, there are a lot of, and the hard thing is with these two issues is there aren't a lot of doctors out there that know about this or how to treat it. Uh, there, there's very few. And to my understanding, there are some very effective, you know, the, the herbal protocols were seem to be just as effective as the, the pharmaceutical protocols, except, you know, would you rather take 10 different herbs or one antibiotic? That's the thing. It's, uh, right. that's, I think a lot of times for, um, SIBO and CIFO, uh, people are missing the heavy metals or the chemical toxicity. 
And that's something that isn't really spoken much about on, on social media. There's so much attention on diets and, and SIBO and CIFO, but, but like I got some detox pro protocols that are totally awesome and people feel so good on them, you know, after three months or four months. So then we can kill fungus, mm -hmm. you know, and I, I want to say something to, to put all this in perspective. I don't know if you know this, but I think the term is it's the largest and oldest organism on the planet is a big ball of fungus that covers half the state of Washington or Oregon. Do you know this? No. Yeah. The biggest, it's like half the state and it's deep in the earth. It's one big fungal organism, but they grow and they live and they thrive and they, you know, they want to put you down. They're trying to eat you. They're trying to take, turn your body back into soil. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's really, uh, it, it's, it's really just trying to, to kill you and, uh, uh, yeah, that's uh, scary to say the least. Uh, the heavy metal toxicity, uh, and I know you can't really measure that in the blood. Uh, and is a hair mineral analysis even accurate of heavy metal toxicity? That's a good question. Um, <clears throat> plenty of doctors will say that hair heavy metal testing is adequate. But the truth is, if you have 100 people and you run a hair analysis on them and 50 of them have no um, metals in their hair and 50 of them do which group is more likely to be toxic with heavy metals? You don't really know because you could have people toxic with metals and it's not coming out. Yeah. You know, the body will mm -hmm. read it out through the hair. Mm -hmm. Anyways, there's a blood test that you can do. Um, it, actually, it's combined with a urine test and saliva from quicksilverscientific.com. This guy named Dr. Chris Jade. This is the premier test for mercury in your body. It'll also tell you whether or not you're actually excreting it out so and it's like you know it's like over 500 bucks to do but a cheaper way to do it is um urine testing <clears throat> yeah I, I i i actually took my hair i put it in a in a frying pan and it melted into pure copper uh from eating all the liver these past few years <laughs> so wait are you serious no i'm joking i'm joking this is okay. a joke it's a joke it's a joke uh so uh you know i thought i had copper toxicity issues because i was eating uh okay okay guys i, I know I found a purveyor for duck liver and I really like it. And I, I ate like a pound of duck liver a day for three months. It was a little, little crazy in, on the copper intake. So uh, I thought I might be having some issues related to copper toxicity, heavy metal stuff. You know, what is the period of time that someone would actually have to detox a heavy metal? It's a matter of months of consuming the antagonistic metals, I'm assuming. Uh, at least like a couple More months. Like, well, <clears throat> it could be, um, it could be two years if you have lead in your bones it could be 10 years oh wow um do you know you know tony robbins the motivational speaker guy yeah of course yeah he is a patient of dr chris shade the at quicksilver scientific and he, tony would eat a lot of tuna his mercury levels were like at 125 they're supposed to be less than three that's crazy that 125 was, <laughs> yeah so he's been detoxing um I know three years ago, Tony was at 75 and now he's at 10. So he might have been detoxing for five or six years to get that mercury out. That's what it takes. It takes years. It's not just a few months. And, and even the thing is, even those antagonistic, like for mercury, I'm assuming it would be selenium. Uh, it doesn't necessarily take it out of the body. I guess what it can do is, you know, if you're consuming one heavy metal, 
if you have high amounts of zinc with high amounts of copper, that might prevent it from being absorbed in the first place. But consuming high amounts of zinc isn't suddenly going to take all the copper out of your tissue, unfortunately. Right. Right. So when it comes to detoxing, there's various other approaches to it. So you, you want to enhance the cell's ability to detox. So glutathione is one of those. Um, there's a thing called the no-ono cycle, which is a detox cycle in the cells that has to be enhanced. Um, then you got binders, which is like activated charcoal, various binder products. They grab on. You could do um, EDTA, which is actually a prescription. Um, but there's various nutritional versions of EDTA. So yeah, those, that's another version of a binder. So yeah, there's different ways to detox. Yeah, I mean, you pretty much want to increase the antioxidant capacity of your body as much as possible. But if your body's not in a state that's it's able to do that, and that's where we need to look at these exogenous supplements. Uh, and I guess just to touch on real quick, the I mean, stem cells. Uh, have you ever had any experience with patients in stem cells? Yeah, we actually sell stem cells in a pill form, and we've had a few people take it and get good results. But getting back to this, like, if you have some causes here, like toxins, your diet's bad, or pathogens, there's no point in stem cells. Stem cells don't appear until down down here. Right I see. There. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, where, where your 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 body is so broken down and damaged, that's where the stem cells come in. Uh, so to speak. Right, yeah. Yeah. But you got to have like the causes, at least uh, starting to address these causes. Mm-hmm. But there's a new evolution in stem cells, and that's um, exosomes, which I just did a video about that. Mm-hmm. So if you have a cell that's under stress, it makes these, I call them care packages. And inside these exosomes, you got proteins, fats, you got RNA, and you got. Um, anti-inflammatory cytokines and various chemicals that tell other cells what to do. So it releases all these care packages. They go to these neighboring cells and tell these cells what to do and give them the tools to do it. Mm -hmm. So whereas a stem cell is just a naive cell that's just sitting there and you get better results with exosomes because it's, it's a message plus tools and, and contrast that with hormones. So hormone is just a message. So an exosome is a message plus tools. Mm -hmm. So in the um, evolution of stem cell therapy, I just did in this video I just did, I talked about eating organs. That's like the original stem cell therapy. And then later people made supplements from organs. They did live cell therapy. And then you had, um, um, what's the term where they would do the uh, prolotherapy. Prolotherapy is injecting vitamins plus irritants into the body to try to get rid of uh, pain or to enhance um uh, healing, but prolotherapy doesn't really stick. So that's kind of going away because it's being replaced by stem cells, which I think will be replaced by exosomes. Mm-hmm. So that's, uh, and, and the, the, uh, changes in that field is it's going so fast. It's really exciting. Yeah. When you look at just the sheer amount of metabolic pathways that are in the body, it's, it's, it's so much to grasp. It's unbelievable. Uh, even just the antioxidant pathway, when you have, you know, you have, dozens of different nutrients that are involved in it and there's dozens of different aspects of it so when we have one input like a stem cell uh you know what we're not looking at is okay what's what's the precursor to a stem cell what's the postcursor to a stem cell so wait if we just if we use this is it a better version of it i think all of this stuff is is really interesting and uh unfortunately that right. level you know i mean i'm not even really personally comfortable at the point where 
Uh, I can discuss some of those things. It's out of the grasp of most people, but it's it's just that concept of precursor stuff. I mean, most bodybuilders might be familiar with, uh, I believe IGF is from growth hormone. And, you know, when you take IGF directly, it has a much more substantial impact than growth hormone does because growth hormone is the precursor. So uh, to me, yeah. it seems like that's a, a similar way, thing that they're doing with the stem cells, with the exosomes. Yeah. Yeah, so on that, the stem cell pills that we sell are in various stages of development. So, you know, a stem cell is a stem cell, but then as it becomes a liver cell or becomes a skin cell, it goes through these changes. And so the company that we work with, they'll, they'll, that stem cell takes its first few steps to become a liver cell. They capture that in the first few steps. So it's kind of a pre-liver cell mm -hmm. as opposed to being just a brand new stem cell. Which is super interesting. I don't know how they do that, but yeah, we know like vitamin A and vitamin D three are very important in in you know the gene expression of cell differentiation. Uh, it, it's questionable if you know these people are so damaged and so poor in health that their body's incapable of utilizing the stem cells efficiently. And even if they did have adequate amounts of the vitamin, I guess uh, depending on the the biological similarity between it and a human's, uh, it seems like it's just eliminating an extra step. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I guess kind of one big thing is uh, asking for my buddy erectile dysfunction. Uh, I'm assuming um, that I'm yeah. assuming yeah that that's like something that kind of resolves itself with diet in a lot of cases. Yeah, a lot of times it's not a low testosterone issue. Um, it could be in the hormone world. It could be a high sex hormone binding globulin issue. So boron is a solution for that. You can Google that. Um, but, uh, another issue, of course, somebody could have high estrogen, but it could be just simply lack of circulation, or it could be like a fungus in the prostate or fungus, you know, in the lower pelvis or parasites. So just like anything else that's here, it could be affecting male sex function. Mm -hmm. yeah. well, one thing we didn't touch on at all that, uh, I mean, I've only known about it for about two months now, grounding. And, uh, you know, one really interesting, uh, watching a video yesterday with Dr. Mercola where, uh, you know, Native Americans knew this stuff. You know, they, they, when he was walking into the Native American hut with his shoes on, the Native Americans said, take those shoes off, they'll make you sick. Uh, so it, it's, to me, it's really compelling that all this complicated stuff we're talking about, stem cells, antioxidant cycles, pathways, it's like we're trying to fix modern problems with modern solutions and it's unfortunate that we we absolutely have to use them in a lot of cases because of how far we've strayed from these people right yeah i've i researched a lot of the emf stuff radio frequencies and grounding oh geez from really my whole career i've always been a fan of physics and um so what i do for myself i use products called uh, the website is called safespaceprotection.com and there might be better products on the market, but I'm really happy with what they have. And then I used to have a grounding mat for my bed where you plug it into the third hole of, a, of the outlet for your house. But I quit using that um, because the truth is, you know, when electricity is sent over to a house, it goes by wire in the air. Then it goes into the house and it has to go back to the utility company. It's got to be a circuit. So it goes into the ground. And then by code, some a lot of places they require that you ground into the water pipe. Now your water is being electrified. So every time you you, you drink water, you can get some bad, you know, 
frequencies there. So it's a total mess. And I actually had to like kind of step back from it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we're not even talking about 4G, 5G yet. Oh, no, that's, yeah, it gets crazy. Uh, I've actually had a few people and it seemed like their diet was perfect and they had no issues. And I asked them, do you sleep next to your cell phone? Do you sleep next to a router? And, you know, that that's literally one thing that improves their sleep almost instantly. Uh, so yeah. on the topic of, I know we said we were going to talk about glandulars and actually using these things to, to treat. Can you give people like a, a glandular 101, like what they are, why people use them? Yeah, glandular 101. Uh, one of my favorite stories from Weston Price was uh, an Eskimo tribe. They killed a big moose. And the adrenals are, I don't know how big they are, like this. And they just cut it up into as many pieces as there are people in the tribe. And they gave everybody a bite of it. And um, that's how, that's one source of vitamin C. So if your adrenals are deficient in vitamin C, um, then you can eat adrenals from a moose. I mean, you can get it from plants too or whatever. But the point is, there are nutrients in the organs, like the thyroid's got to be filled with iodine. So you eat some thyroid, you get extra iodine. Um, you get you eat liver, it feeds your liver. That's glandular therapy 101. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's so I made this product. I don't eat raw liver and stuff like you do. Maybe someday I will. Mm -hmm. You know, I drink some raw myoglobin on my channel, raw, raw blood. And I lost like 200 subscribers like that. <laughs> and I, I, took the, I took it down. My, my oh, audience shit. is not. Not, not, not wacko daco. Yeah. You know, I'll make a comment on your channel and I'll see all the <laughs> vegans that that hate me. You know, they hate you. They hate me. They make all these horrible comments. Then I just preemptively block them from ever commenting on my channel. Mm -hmm. But anyways, I know you don't ever block anybody. Oh, that's but. funny. Like, I don't until you go on my channel, you make sure they don't come out with you. That's funny. Uh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. So but I made this as a product. It's called a multiglandular uh, from Heritage Glandulars. This is me and a friend of mine. But this is my recipe right there. It's nine glands put together, plus some other things. And it's actually not, I shouldn't say it's my recipe. It's from another doctor from back in the 80s. And mm -hmm. uh, I just thought I'd revive it. And so that's a, a way to take in glands without actually eating the glands. And I mean, most people can't get glands. I actually found a local farm by me, uh, and I'm going to order some fresh glands next week. I mean, I've always eaten brain, liver, um, but I've never really had adrenals. I've never had thyroid glands. I've never had, uh, I'm going to try to get my hands on some next week and try them. Uh, but people can't even buy them. But when you have a supplement company, you have this purchasing power. You're able to get things that people can't get and package them into something affordable. And not only is it affordable, right. it's they couldn't get it otherwise. Right. Yeah. So I, I, I've said on my channel before, I probably consume more glands and more quantity than anybody in the United States. And it all comes from, like I got, um, from this from Standard Process. So this is their whole food vitamin C called Cataplex C. Mm -hmm. And the first ingredient is bone, bone extract. The second ingredient is adrenal from, from cows. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's the point is like, I, you know, I've had plenty of adrenals in the past and all that. Yeah, that's, there's this wild fruit. It's a type of plum, uh, I believe. It, it has like, 10 times more vitamin C than anything else there is, even things like rose hips and acerola cherry. Uh, you know, it's it's unfortunate that we don't have access to these ancient foods that our ancestors might have looked at for, for possible health problems right. and solutions. But yeah, having said that though, you know, when you eat a low carb diet and your insulin stays down, 
you can maintain all these nutrients. You, you know that, right? You know, there's studies back in the 40s where they had rats that were born and they didn't give them any vitamin E for their whole life. And they lived their whole duration of their life and they died and they didn't die of any vitamin E deficiency. So they were born with enough vitamin E to survive their whole life. So here, so now we have with our high carb diet, we're just urinating out, we're pooping out all of our vitamins, all of our minerals. So just do low carb, you can maintain all that. Yeah, there's definitely something to be said about the level of oxidative stress that we cause on our bodies now uh, from all of these modern things and how, you know, the nutrient requirement might even be higher. Uh, it's, uh, it's just so difficult because, uh, you know, when these people might have fasted or had famine for periods of months where they didn't get nutrition, uh, they were in a very low stress, low inflammatory environment where they didn't have to worry about, uh, you know, running out of vitamin E stores, running out of vitamin C stores while we can't even really get enough of them now. Right. Yeah. And on top of that too, if you're in ketosis, it's so good for your, uh, your immune system. Like in my, most of my career, people would say, what do I do for preventing a cold and flu? And I would give them echinacea and stuff like that. But now what I know in the last three years, it's like, you got to get into ketosis. I had this uh, conversation, you know, Dave Feldman at cholesterolcode.com. I had a conversation with him about it. He goes, yeah, it's like LDL is so strong for the immune system. And he hadn't had a cold in three years. And I've been doing really good myself being in ketosis most days. It's like, that's the most powerful thing for your immune system. I mean, you've had a lot of patients do ketosis, low-carb diets. Uh, is, there, is there fasting to any extent? Yeah, so I'll have patients fast. Um, I've had some patients just take it way beyond what my comfort level was. I had a guy do 10 days. And in the middle of those 10 days, 40 hours of no water. It he said it took him about two or three months to recover from that. Um, but Jeez. I have plenty of people doing five days once a month. So um, a lot of people, most, a lot of people are doing intermittent fasting. Mm -hmm. I have a guy now, check this out, since, since the beginning of January, one meal a week. January, February, March. So it's been three months of one meal a week. Mm -hmm. He's uh, he's overweight. I mean, yeah, he's lost over fifty pounds oh, now. Wow. Yeah, so about a week ago or two, he started having some uh, electrical, like his legs are shaking in bed. And the answer is okay. Time to eat more fat. Like during your fasting days, do some coconut oil or, you know, avocado oil every day, maybe three tea, uh, three spoonfuls. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. So, uh, Darren, were there any other things, you know, in your clinical practice that you felt like were, you know, important to mention, any experiences, any funny stories, any things that you've really taken and learned from? Um, it's a big question. Um, yeah, it is. It is. I think that, uh, yeah, I think that what, what comes to my head is, um, the evolution of the, um, nutrition, the good nutrition knowledge is coming so fast and um it's well it's like the quality of the information is really good but not very well known and there's so many detractors to it there's so many groups and institutions and associations that don't want you to have the good information so as people evolve their own clinical practice and their own personal dietary changes i just want to say that you know like um forgive yourself and forgive everyone else for having done the wrong things for so long, you know, just drop that old stuff and 
move forward and, you know, apologize if you need to, but <laughs> like, just keep, just keep changing. Don't make any excuses. If you learn something and I see this on, there's a guy Gardner was is his name on Twitter and he did a study back in 06, I think it was called the A to Z study Atkins to zone. He tested like five diets and the best diet was the Atkins diet. And so just three days ago, he tweeted out that we need to, um, okay, there's a guy named John Yonides. He's the guy that's ensure, he's trying to ensure the quality of research. This guy Gardner is bashing Yonides and he's saying, we don't need methodology in research. We don't need statistics. We don't need math. We already have the American Diabetic Association. We already have the American Heart Association. And he lists like 10 different associations. And it's like, dude, your study from 06 disproves what you're tweeting right now. Like, you know, like, I don't know if you're getting paid by these food mm -hmm. corporations. Like, who's paying you? Like, stop it. You know, like, we need to, we need to stop the government from having so much money and nutrition yeah, research. It, it's, it's so, I, I use the word unfortunate a lot, but I don't know a better way to describe it. Uh, it you know, it's one thing to be acceptable and forgive people for making mistakes, but you know, the, these people know they made a mistake and they know there's a lot of money at stake. So, uh, at what point is it, uh, you know, I mean, when eventually there's going to be a point where, you know, too many people are going to realize it and, and something's, I mean, that's really what happens. You know, when people are getting sicker and sicker and sicker, they're, they're, I think there's, there has to be some point where it gets to the extreme end. Um, uh, Dr. Schmidt, was there anything else you wanted to touch on today? You feel like we missed? Uh, no, not that I can sounds think Sounds good to me. So, uh, Darren, thank you so much for, for coming on today. Uh, where can people find you? And if you could just give them a little bit of an idea of what you do on uh, your YouTube channel. Yeah, my YouTube channel, I try to stick with uh, clinical nutritional help as much as possible. And then I do some videos where I talk about bad science versus good science. And I talk about supplements and diet. Um, so it's pretty focused on nutritional care. So just search my name, Darren Schmidt, maybe throw in the word ketosis, you'll get my channel. I got over 300 videos, I got 116,000 subscribers. But my my office, I'm in my office right now, I got five other practitioners. I got like 28 employees total, I think. Um, the website for the office is thenutritionalhealingcenter.com. And we help people um, over the phone and we have people come here too in the, into the building. So we can do some long distance. I, I talk to people all over the world. And then I have this supplement of uh, heritage glandulars. I got the good fat bar. So there's, that's how you can, and I, you know, I need to throw in like other people to support too, like study Nina Teichel. She wrote that book, Big Fat Surprise, mm -hmm. you know, and then um, Steve Finney, he had to leave the public sector to get out of the unethical arrangements that they put together with their government funds. And he, he went into the private sector and he started Verta Health, V-I-R-T-A. These are the kind of people that they're the ones that are changing the way that, you know, uh, nutrition will be in the near future. So um, I, I appreciate everybody's support and I, I spread that support around to other people too. And you too, Frankie, <laughs> I think you're doing a great job with your, with your channel. You got good content, you're researching and stuff and entertaining at the same time. Very Jack, entertaining. Jack of all trades, master of none, as I like to say it. Uh, but <laughs> Dr. Schmidt, 
thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I think we touched on a lot of important topics that will help out so many people today. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Of course, yeah. Hey, you guys enjoy the rest of the weekend, all right? Take care, guys.